It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. A diverse jury deliberated for about 10 hours after three weeks of often emotional testimony. The jurors' names were withheld during the whole process. 31-year-old Brandon Mitchell was known only as juror number 52, and he joins us now. Brandon, we're really glad to see you because all of us wanted to know what happened. So I'd like you, if you could, please take us inside the room. I think we were surprised that you are 12 strangers, you didn't know each other, you go in the room, what's the process, and how were you able to reach a verdict so quickly? First, I want to send my condolences to the Floyd family. Yes. Um, but, but when we walked into the deliberation room, um, the first thing we did is we voted on whether or not we wanted to have our mask on. So we made that kind of an icebreaker just to get going. Mm -hmm. um, we voted to not have our mask on, we took our mask off, then we voted for um, a four-person, um, and from there, um, we went straight into the manslaughter charges and took a preliminary vote before doing a final vote um, mm -hmm. on those charges and went forward from there. Um, the preliminary vote was 11 of us were already, um, we were already on board for guilty for the manslaughter. One person was still unsure. Um, and we just went over it as a team, as a group. Um, each person kind of went down the line on why they thought it was guilty. Um, we did another vote, maybe. 40 minutes later, after we went through everybody, and everybody was on the same page from the manslaughter. It, it happened really quickly. Each charge, we did a preliminary vote mm -hmm. um, to see where we were at. Um, if there was anybody that was not on board yet or was unsure, then we would you know, go around the room. Everybody kind of speak on what they, th what they think is, is necessary to speak on. Um, we went over maybe a little bit of the evidence, um, and then we would come back with the final vote whenever we thought it was a suitable time. That was the day after Derek Chauvin was convicted on all counts of uh, the murder of uh, George Floyd, and that was juror number 52, Brandon Mitchell. Mitchell, that was a CBS report. Brandon was the first juror to speak out on national television, telling about his experiences. Uh, and earlier, he had told uh, the judge that he'd only heard basic information about that case and was certainly not aware of any information that would hinder his ability to serve as an impartial Juror. He also answered no to questions on the juror questionnaire that inquired whether he had participated in demonstrations against police brutality or if anyone uh, close to him had participated in protests about police use of force or police brutality. But now we're learning today that uh, what Brandon had said is not exactly accurate. He was uh, at a march in Washington, D.C. Uh, he's wearing a T-shirt, a shirt, a hat that says Black Lives Matter. He is wearing a T-shirt that says, "Your knee, get your knee off our neck, Black Lives Matter, with a picture of Dr. Martin Luther King. So Brennan obviously knew very much about what was happening and uh, was actively protesting on behalf of Black Lives Matter. 
uh, and against um, the police officer, whether directly or indirectly. So the thing about it is our jury system only works if we have objective jurors, people that can be objective, can listen to the evidence and make a reasonable decision. And so when that breaks down, we are in trouble. We can't have, you know, the relatives of some criminal on the jury. I'm Okay, I'm extrapolating something, another point, but that's an extreme. We can't have people connected or people have bias or people that have a vested interest on jurors, juries. That's why you are asked all those questions. That's why a lot of you can't serve. And so um, that's why Derek Chauvin was so handily convicted because there were already people that were predisposed I mean, I'm not saying he shouldn't have been convicted, but this is just not the way our system works. And so Derek Chauvin's attorney, by the way, before this even broke, as far as I know, uh, the timing is um, interesting, but his attorney, Eric Nelson, is filing a court uh, um, a request for a pretrial, a new trial, because he's giving a lot of uh, information. He said, first of all, it should have been moved. They ask for the trial to be moved to a different venue because it was tough for him to get a, a, a fair trial in that with all the publicity happening, uh, he, there were a lot of reasons. He's, there were taints to the jury pool, and maybe he's referring to Derek. I don't really know. Uh, but there is going to be, well, he's, he's appealing. That uh, means the judge has to grant or not grant a new trial. But that's just the interesting, a piece of interesting news from today. Um, and then that reminds me, you know, we talked about racism yesterday, and I told you that the left always accuses their enemies of doing exactly what they're doing. And I, I sort of went uh, on for about three or four minutes about Certainly on the issue of racism, that's true. Uh, They are the ones who claim to be, you know, they're not racist. They are the defenders of the black and brown communities and people of color, whatever you want to say. They are the champions. That's what they say. And uh, Trump supporters, white evangelicals, conservatives, we are the racists and that they talk about it constantly. Interestingly enough, Tim Scott, who was a black senator from South Carolina, of course, gave the response to uh, uh, President Joe Biden's speech to Congress last week. Uh, And a part of what he said was that that there is no systemic racism in this country. He was roundly lambasted. And so um, he came out uh, sort of doubling down on how he really feels things are. And I want you to hear just for a second what Tim Scott, Senator Tim Scott, had to say, clip three. America is not a racist country. The question is, is there a lingering effect after a couple of centuries of racism and discrimination in this nation? The answer is absolutely. Fighting bigotry with bigotry is hypocrisy. It just doesn't work. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so Tim is talking about, uh, Tim, Senator Scott is talking about what I believe is true, too. Of course, we have the residue of slavery, the residue of racism that was certainly uh, it really did dominate our culture in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. And the 60s is when it began to break up, when the civil rights movement under Dr. Martin Luther King started. His peaceful movement it was amazing, amazing what they did and what they accomplished, uh, an awakening for a country that had been really awash in racism. And that was the beginning of it just uh, crumbling. And since then, we've been struggling to get to a place where we don't see people in colors. And I think we've come a long way, and I think that's what Tim Scott believes too. But you can't say that. You can't say that. Uh, There is a Tiffany Cross from MSNBC weighed in on what uh, Senator Scott just said. Tiffany's black. Let's listen. 
Okay, let's be clear. Tim Scott does not represent any constituency other than the small number of sleepy, slow-witted sufferers of Stockholm Syndrome who get elevated to prominence for repeating a false narrative about this country that makes conservative white people feel comfortable. So thirsty for white approval, the ability to shame the ancestors and appease the oppressors all in one speech, that's extreme. Though not quite like the domestic violent extremism that the Department of Homeland Security is investigating within its own ranks, mind you. But please, Senator, say more about how unracist the country is while you trot out that tired line about going from cotton to Congress to clown. <laughs> Slow-witted, clown, uh, shame the ancestors and appease the oppressors. That's the language of communism. And so thank you, Tiffany. We know where you're coming from. Uh, and then further than that, to make my point even more clearly about the left, and now the left is populated by um, Democrats. The Democrats are uh, the left. They just are. In Texas, uh, the leader of uh, the Democratic Party, uh, a local Democratic Party, uh, just went right for it, Gary O'Connor, and called uh, Senator Tim Scott an Oreo, which is, of course, a derogatory term for a black person who, I don't know, wants to be white or... I'm not sure exactly what that would mean to a black person hearing it, but we get the gist of it. It's certainly not a compliment. And so that's what he called him, Scott. And then he offered to resign, but the Democratic Party down there in Texas won't let him resign. Why, there's nothing wrong with saying that, calling Senator Tim Scott an Oreo. This is the Democratic Party in this uh, area in Texas. And this is my point. Who is the racist in this scenario? Who is the racist? Is it Tiffany calling him slow-witted? Uh, you know, I mean, it's just amazing to me what they do uh, with impunity and carelessly. But I'm just counting on uh, people of goodwill who have a reasonable mind to understand what's happening here. And so uh, we, have to, we have to call things like they are. There was a, and you've probably seen this by now. I didn't have a chance to play it yesterday. See, I'm late. I'm late to the table here with some of this stuff. Uh, this was a teacher in Los Angeles. A black teacher is stopped by a Hispanic a policeman. And uh, it's caught on video. It's, you can hear the audio. It's pretty remarkable. Let's listen. Going at 38. Yes, you are, ma'am. Good morning. Which is, and the speed limit is 40, and I was going 38, so why are you harassing me? You are me? correct. I pulled you over because, because you're a murderer. Because uh, yes, I started to record because you can't you're a murderer. Be a, you can't be on your cell phone I, I wasn't while you're on driving. My phone. I was recording you because you scared you can't, me. You can't use your cell I phone while you're recording. You. May I have your driver's license? I, it's, it's at my apartment. What's your apartment? It's at my home. I'm just taking my son to his. Do you therapy. have a, Do you have your driver's license? I it, I mistakenly left it at home. Do you have a picture of your driver's license? Yes, I do. May I have it? And can you call your supervisor, please? I, I already did. He's on his way. Good, because you're a murderer. Okay. And so you're giving me a cell phone ticket? Is that why you're harassing me? Not harassment. Yeah. I, I am enforcing the law. I have a right to and record the police when they're harassing me. By all means, but you can't do it while you're driving. I was. I can. I wasn't. Doesn't texting or none of that. Do you have? And you had that you picture. You scared me and made me think you were going to murder me. Okay. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Well, you're. That's not just a feeling. You're a murderer. Okay. Can you zoom in on that for me, sure. Jay? Sure. Thank you. And I'm perfectly legal, and I'm a teacher. So oh. there. Congratulations. Murderer. You're a murderer. What's your last name? I can't see that there. Well, if here you, you stop, go, stop murderer. Stop shaking. 
Zoom in on that for no, me. No, because man. you're scaring me. Oh, you're threatening to kill me and my son. Can you give me okay. the, the well, you, iPad, you, I'll tell you what, you keep smiling, yeah, you're on camera. You keep, you're, you're trying to threaten to kill me. I'm I not didn't smiling, say that. you're the one who's crazy. Hold that still, I can't see that. Uh, is this your car? Yes, it is. Um, you're trying to say I stole my own car because you're jealous? Yeah, is that what I don't that's think about? so. You wait for me right here, okay? You're jealous. All you need to do is your signature. He's only citing you for using your cell phone while you're driving. That's it. There you go, ma'am. Sign inside for the red box right a, there. For him being a Mexican racist. What is that name? Gas. It's on the citation, ma'am. Here you go, Mexican racist. You're always going to be a Mexican. You'll never be white. You know that, right? You'll never be white, which is what you really want to be. You there you go, be dear. White. Have you, a good day. You want to be white so bad. <laughs> wow, is that sick? I, I was just thinking about her child, or her her child, her son in the car with her. How she's what she's exampling to him. Uh, you you you're threatening to kill me and my son. He's not. You can hear for yourself that he's not threatening to kill her or her son. And yet, this is the narrative for many in the black community. And I want to repeat to you, first of all, in 2020, when it comes to police killings, there were 457 white people who were killed by police. 241 black people, and uh, only 15 of those were, uh, uh, well, maybe only, well, let's say 15 of those were unarmed. And Hispanics, 169. That's the killings. Uh, they, it is just not true that black men are mostly the victims. That's just not true. Uh, it has, I think that they are, anyway, we've had conversations about that, and I don't want to, I want to talk about this teacher. She says, what does she say to him? The poison. You're jealous of my car. You're jealous of my car. You Mexican racist. Who's the racist? Who's the racist? You Mexican racist. How insulting. You murderer. You want to be white. You'll never be white. That's what you want to be. You'll never be white. What What makes her think he wants to be white? That's racist in itself. Does she, is it she extrapolating? I would, I would have turned it on her and said, are you, are you uh, projecting to me your desire? I don't, I don't understand. I mean, um, this is just so twisted, so vile. She is a teacher. She's teaching students in Los Angeles. Isn't that a joy? Uh, you know, good teachers are really leaving, looking for ways to retire. I and mean, that's not true of all of you. Some of, some of you are teachers, and you'll probably let me know that's not true. But my understanding from other teachers that I know is it's getting so tough that really good people are having trouble hanging on. And this is who's teaching our children has nothing to do with her color. It has to do with the vile bitterness of her soul. She should not be teaching children, much less her own son. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. They could not take his joy. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and I met 12-year-old Barack when I visited Tanzania, Africa. He is an albino, and if you suffer with albinism, you lack a pigmentation in your skin, hair, and eyes. And in this part of the world where witchcraft is so prominent, witch doctors believe that someone like Barack is an evil spirit that must be destroyed. And so on the way to school one day, they cut off his left arm, took the fingers on his right hand, took his teeth, took his tongue, but they could not take his joy. Why? He is a born-again believer, and even though the father left the home many years ago, the mother 
mother, Mary, endeavored to raise him to know and love Jesus, and together they've learned to forgive through the hope of the gospel those that attacked him. And would you know it, a hundred people have come to Christ, two of those former witch doctors who at one time sought to harm him. Look, we're sending Bibles to Africa. Hope is needed there, and you can be a part of this at only $5 a Bible, $100 since 20. Call 800-YES-WORD. 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 Or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Tomorrow is the National Day of Prayer. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. It's an incredible opportunity to experience the power of prayer as one nation under God. Be a part of this historic day along with fellow Christians who are ready to make a difference by lifting up our nation in prayer. Free prayer resources are waiting for you right now. Join an online prayer room and invite family, friends, and neighbors to join you for the National Day of Prayer. Just go to pray.team. There's absolutely no cost to participate. This is your call to prayer, and now's the time to answer the call. Our country needs your prayers more than ever, so join the Presidential Prayer Team for the National Day of Prayer. We'll see you online at pray.team. That's pray.team. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Again, that's "Go Visit" to the number 49596. No one can accuse the University of North Carolina in Asheville of not caring about the fragile Generation Zers they're indoctrinating. The university hosted a healing space for black and African-American students in the aftermath of the Derek Chauvin trial. They also sponsored a racial trauma yoga session, limited only to minority students. Segregation has become somewhat vogue among the woke academic crowd. Young America's Foundation got their hands on an exclusive email sent to students from Chancellor Nancy Cable. She blasted what she called the recurrent deaths of black and brown people along with anti-transgender legislation. So she created two healing spaces, one for black students, the other for trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming students. Well, I'm not all that familiar with racial trauma yoga, but I have seen firsthand full moon yoga. That was incredibly traumatic. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Sandy Rios back with you. I just got in my inbox just a few minutes ago that the FBI has shot and killed a man uh, with a gun outside of the CIA campus. And uh, I, I'm not seeing, seeing that in the news feeds. And uh, this is something from a person, a private person who knows so we don't know the name of the perpetrator, and uh, but that's just happened, and that's just a bit of the news. Well, you will remember that a few a month or so ago we talked about the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, I've talked about this often about their move to the left, their lurch to the left. I've talked about Russell Moore and the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission that he heads, and uh, I've talked about the purging of the seminaries. But I want to remind you uh, just for a second 
Uh, the reason I'm talking about this is because I know not all of you are Southern Baptists, but this is a trend all over in evangelical circles. Uh, there is an attempt to, you know, wake up as the as a you know as in the woke movement of uh, the evangelical missions missionaries, uh, parachurch organizations, and they've been very successful. Southern Baptists have been sort of a holdout. Uh, But I want to kind of set the stage by reminding you of something that the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer, said just not long ago. Let's listen. And political affiliations have a way of obscuring the gospel. In our political climate, we know that if we are known as the stooge for one party, we just will lose all audience with the other. When we tie our message too closely to a political platform, we put an unnecessary obstacle in the way of the gospel for half of our mission field. Please note, I am not talking about not speaking out on justice issues. That is not what I'm saying. But I'm saying when we take that additional step of saying, well, let me get rid of the weeds of this and let me figure out what the best candidates are and what the best strategies are. At that point, we have obscured the gospel and we have, we have written off half of our mission field. Okay, so that wasn't the part of the quote I expected because he goes on to say that um, why are we so upset about uh, closet racists? Uh, so upset about critical race theory, more upset about that than we are about closet racists in the pews. Something like that, and I thought that was pretty offensive. That's J.D. Greer. I had agreed with a lot of what he said just then. Just then, He is the current president, but he's coming up for re-election, and I've asked Rod Martin to join us this morning. Rod is the founder and CEO of the Martin Organization, uh, he's, but for the purposes of this discussion, he's a member of the Southern Baptist Executive Committee. Rod, good morning, and thank you for joining us. Good morning, Sandy. Yeah, so uh, you know what? Because uh, Southern Baptist is pretty intricate in their um, in, in their structure, we and we don't want to get bogged down on that uh, because we have a lot of people listening that are not Southern Baptists and don't care. Uh, but the Southern Baptist Executive Committee, explain the role of that committee and how important it is. The Southern Baptist Executive Committee is the convention ad interim. That's the definition in the bylaws, and what that means is the annual meeting meets for two days every year, and of course it has it has power over whatever. It's it's the messengers from all the churches, and um, the the convention itself exists pretty much to steward the money that churches give through the cooperative program to spend on things that we do better together. It would be hard for one church to have a great seminary uh, or a great missions-sending organization or, or all the different things we do. And so we collectively give through the cooperative program and the convention stewards that money through trustee boards and so forth. And the ultimate power in that, of course, is in the pews, but, but they, the churches send messengers to the annual meeting. That's two days a year. But... 363 days a year, the executive committee uh, takes on the role of the annual meeting. So it is an important body, and I'm very honored to get to serve and and honored to be an officer of it. Yeah, well, I think uh, the Southern Baptists are lucky to have you, Rod. Hey, just as a fun aside, uh, my understanding is you were one of the founders of PayPal, right? (laughs) Well, founder would be a stretch, but I was... I was one of the early people there, and I was a direct report to the main founder, Peter Thiel, uh, who is a wonderful man and, and uh, uh, an old friend. So in your, your regular, ordinary life, you've made a really important mark, Rod, and so I just wanted people to know that. And so you have a lot of knowledge of how things work in business, and you also have a knowledge about um, what's happening with the left. So 
My question is, there is, I believe June is the convention for Southern Baptists, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so what's at stake in this upcoming Southern Baptist convention from your perspective? This is an incredibly important convention, and all of your listeners who are Southern Baptists, I urge you to get with your pastor and become a messenger. You have to be a, your church has to send you as a messenger, but most of the time that's not difficult. Very few churches send most of the messengers they could send. Become a messenger and come to Nashville in June. It is so important. Um, it, it, you did you did make one small error there, Sandy. J.D. is not actually up for re-election. In fact, quite the contrary, he shouldn't be president right now. But because of COVID, we had to we had to cancel the annual meeting in 2020. So he's actually in for a third year, which normally a president can't have. The men who are running uh, for election, there are four of them, and, and one of them is just outright woke. He is the woke candidate, uh, a gentleman named Ed Litton. And, of course, we have we have uh, a gentleman named Brandy Adams from Washington State who is conservative. think a lot of him. Uh, Al Mohler is a candidate. He's the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I have a lot of respect for Dr. Mohler, but honestly, Sandy, if you see the state of the Southern Baptist Convention today and you're happy with it, you can thank Al Mohler for that. There's hardly an entity head anywhere in the SBC who wasn't put there by Al Mohler. And so the direction we have today is Dr. Mohler's direction, regardless of how conservative he, he probably is personally. And I'm encouraging people to turn out for a fourth candidate. I believe our first candidate, Pastor Mike Stone from Georgia. Mike, uh, you've interviewed him on your show. He's a pastor of a church of about 1,100 in a town of 3,500. He's been he's been chairman of the SBC Executive Committee. He's been president of the Georgia Baptist Convention. He is one of our finest statesmen, and he is a solid, solid conservative. He's exactly the man we need at this time. And honestly, as you as you suggested a minute ago, we're in a time where everything matters where everything's on the line. The the convention is clearly trending leftward at its highest levels, not in the pew. In the pew, you see, and I'll, I'll just give your audience a very a simplified shorthand, 86% of Southern Baptists voted for Donald Trump. These people are not woke. <laughs> These people are not liberals in any stretch, in any way. But a lot of their leaders are going with the times. They are they are following the culture rather than being false and light. And that J.D. quote that you just played alludes to that. He's talking about not being aligned with a party. And, and I agree with that, and I know you agree with that. But the problem is, one of our major parties, the party currently in power, is aligned with full-on abortion on demand, even murdering children after they're born. It is aligned with the most radical LGBTQ agenda that we have ever seen or heard. We're we're talking about a party that's advancing HR five, the so-called Equality Act, that would effectively annihilate the First Amendment. Churches would be absolutely hard pressed to even continue to exist in their current form if that existed. 
party that, that we're supposed to cozy up to? No, the church should be calling that out. And if that offends half the country, well, Jesus had no problem with offending half of Israel. Wrong <laughs> is wrong is wrong. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the Democratic Party today is not a party that a believer could possibly align with if that believer has thought more more deeply about politics than just my granddaddy was a Democrat. This is just, this is something the Southern Baptist Church must call out, must Rod, stand me, against. Yeah. No, let me, let me point something out from a, 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 like the 10,000 foot perspective here. Uh, looking back on our country and the move of our country, uh, what we have watched through the years, and I've said this on the air, but I, it's time to repeat it is what the left does and has done very successfully is target the leadership of various organizations, take over the leadership, and then gradually turn the members. They've done that with the American Medical Association. They did that with the AARP. They've, they've done that with the schools. Uh, that's how they work. And so it's not a small thing. You may be comforted that 80, 86% of uh, the members of Southern Baptist churches uh, voted for Trump only because, not because they voted for Trump, because they had aligned with his policies, which are biblical, exactly. Uh, but um, but that's not that's not we can't stop with that because this is a pattern. When you have leadership that is to the left, they have tremendous influence on the writings, who writes, who teaches, and it does filter down. And Rod, we're already seeing that. I would say, and young Southern Baptist preachers, I pick this up. I see a lot of them have been at seminars with uh, Russell Moore, and I see them being turned. Uh, I see them being silent in the pulpit, for one thing, about moral issues that happen to have a, a, a political, a, uh, you know, there's a, like you talked about the Equality Act. That's a moral issue, but it's also a political issue. So they won't talk about that stuff. That's one of the biggest effects that I see from the influence of people like Russell Moore and J.D. Greer. Um, but you, you hear J.D. talk about, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about justice issues. Well, he's not talking about abortion right there. He's talking about a range of social justice issues, which yes. certainly is, <laughs> we, we might better term that socialist justice. And, and the truth of the matter is that J.D. is pro-life, and I'm not saying otherwise, but you don't hear him talking about that. You heard a few, maybe a year ago uh, the sermon he preached where he says, we, we don't need to be uh, speaking a lot about uh, homosexual issues because the Bible uh, screams about some issues. It whispers about homosexuality. What? <laughs> I mean, have you read Romans 1? What are you talking about? And, and this is where they are. They, are. they are constantly shifting the debate toward the democratic position and glossing over the manifest evils of the democratic platform yeah. and what they're doing in Congress today. So, yes, you want to talk about influencing the future by taking the leadership? They are doing exactly that in typical socialist fashion. You know, Marx and Lenin taught, you know, their people to, to seize the commanding heights of a society. Well, that's what they always do, take over the leadership influence the future. But it's not just the future. There's about $30 billion of church assets paid, paid for by little old ladies' tithe money just at the national level of the SBC. There's several times that in the state. So they're taking that. 
They're using that now to promote an agenda that is clearly out of sync with the Baptists in the pew. But not only that, much of that money goes to train a third of the seminary students on the North American continent in just our six seminaries. Control of those seminaries is not just control of a bunch of Southern Baptist churches. We train pastors for countless denominations. I mean, like I said, a third of the seminary students on the continent in our six institutions capture those who capture the future of the evangelical church. And it's not just the future either, it's the present, because as you know, the trend is more and more and more to hire 30-year-old senior pastors of megachurches. It's unbelievable how young we're going now in the pursuit of the, the youth uh, obsession of our culture. And so, so you take a student at a seminary who is taught to be woke, and that seminary student 10 years from now is likely to be your pastor, and he's going to be there for 30, 40 years. They know this, they understand this, and they're making it happen. So, Rod, uh, let us let me ask you point blank. There, We've had discussions about the turning of Southern Baptist Seminary, Southwestern, uh, Southeastern, a Southern, years ago, Southern was the most, uh, uh, look, I, I, remember, I knew some of the players, um, I have this odd name to use, but people that were really on the left in the early days, that first revolution in the Southern Baptist Church in the 80s, I knew people at, at Southern that were really in the middle of uh, the bad stuff. And so that was turned, but then what now? I mean, is it true that the seminaries are being turned uh, woke? And, and can you give some proof of that? Well, I'm, I'm very grateful that, that the seminary president signed a statement in December that repudiated critical race theory and intersectionality. I think they did a great job on that. That is helpful. The problem is it just doesn't reflect the reality in some of their schools. And, you know, you see that with guys like Walter Strickland at Southeastern, who, you know, has famously praised James Cone, the father of black liberation theology. You see that with uh, Curtis Woods, who is no longer at Southern Seminary in Louisville, but he was the architect of Resolution 9, which which they passed kind of in dark of night um, at the Southern Baptist Convention in Birmingham two years ago that endorsed critical race theory and intersectionality. He was on faculty at Southern, and, and Al Mohler refused to speak against that on the floor. He said, well, I can't go against the faculty member at my school. Well, he's been saying he's against that ever since, so why couldn't he just say it for 30 seconds from the floor of the convention and Resolution 9 would have died? You know, so you, you see all of these things. We could go on for hours here, Sandy, and truly the best place to go for that is founders.org. Founders, like founder of you know, the country or something, founders.org, where Pastor Tom Askell has done a masterful job of documenting these things and actually you know, released a documentary a couple of years ago called By What Standard. I appear in that documentary, and a lot of Southern Baptist leaders do, just showing what is happening on critical race theory and intersectionality in our seminary. But the bigger issue is what to do about it. And what to do about it is exactly what worked in the 80s. It, it, our system sounds, uh, uh, sounds a little Byzantine at times, but really it's very simple. One president 
appoints a committee on committees that appoints a committee on nominations. And that committee on nominations pretty much fills all of the trustee boards. JD's nominations have trended dramatically to the left. We need to elect presidents who will go the other direction. And for the reasons I just described, Curtis Woods and, and plenty of other thing, other guys at Southern, I'm not sure that Al Mueller is the guy who ought to be in control of that. But Mike Stone is. So we need people to turn out, elect Mike Stone, and we will start the ball rolling of putting those trustee boards right. You know, one an example of what you just said, Rod, we said a lot of things, but uh, J.D. Greer's nominating committee has uh, let go, uh, uncharacteristic, it's a violation of precedent, Dr. Tom Tucker, who is a strong conservative, and put in his place someone who is uh, uh, loves Barack Obama and has bragged on Beth Moore and her wokeness and Russell Moore. So, so the, he's on the nominating committee, this person that we're talking about, the new guy? Well, you're exactly right. This is is a horrible thing, and it's something the convention has repeatedly repudiated. It has always been that Southern Baptists reappoint people to a a customary second term if they're of good character and they're doing a good job. And the last time we had this come up was just in 2018. Um, A trustee was going to be replaced just because the committee wanted somebody else, and the convention overwhelmingly repudiated that and kept the person who was there honorably serving for a second term. Well, J.D.'s nominating committee just replaced Tom Tucker, who, by the way, is a full-time Southern Baptist evangelist. I mean, we, we don't have enough Southern Baptist evangelists, and, and you know, Tom is a full-time evangelist, a wonderful, wonderful man who is the sitting vice chairman of the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee, and they're kicking him out in, in at the end of his first term, or attempting to. We're going to challenge that from the floor. I'm sure we're going to win. But we shouldn't have to have that fight. And the guy they're putting in, I mean, here's I'm looking at one of his tweets here from just August. He's going on about the prophetic preaching of Beth Moore and, and how uh, he's a better preacher than, than a whole lot of the men critiquing this post and you know here he's going on about how wonderful barack obama is and remember we're talking about barack obama and he says the ease with which barack obama interweaves passages of scripture into his eulogy for john lewis speaks to his familiarity with the text disagree with him politically if you like but it's hard to doubt obama's knowledge of the bible and of the spirit who authored it are you kidding me I mean, we're talking about the leader, the the leading socialist, the leading pro LGBTQ agenda, the the leading uh, the leader of the baby murder wing of the entire world, and he's talking about how the spirit is moving Barack Obama to, to understand the text. This is this is ridiculous, well, and, 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 and it just goes on and on and on. And Rod, this let guy, me ju- this let me jump in. This to replace Tom Tucker. And his name is David Sons, and he's the one that David J.D. Greer's committee. Yeah, David Sons is the one that tweeted that. All right, so, uh, Rod, can you stay with me for a minute more? Sure. Okay, I'll let, we have to take a commercial break, but when we come back, I'm going to play that clip from Barack Obama that he was uh, waxing eloquent about, and I want to reiterate, if we could, uh, one more time, what people 
for Southern Baptists can do, and also why this matters to every Christian listening, why this matters, and uh, maybe some lessons to sort of take to their own denomination, things to watch for. And so we'll do that when we return. Rod Martin is my guest, founder and CEO of the Martin Organization and a member of the Southern Baptist Executive Committee. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. There's a new twist on the seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal. NPR promoted a defense of looting as an imaginative sense of freedom and pleasure. A DA said don't charge looters who needed stolen goods. We live in a day when God's word is ignored, there's no moral absolutes, and right and wrong are redefined. The Bible says, professing themselves wise, they've become fools. It's not too late to turn back to God, but it's getting close. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. AFA founder Don Wildman wrote an article called Light Through the Clouds that begins A Dark Cloud Has Descended on America. He goes on to describe how this cloud has left people unable to tell the difference between right and wrong and what we can do to come out of the darkness. Sounds like he wrote it this morning, doesn't it? Actually, it was first published 21 years ago, but you can read it in the May edition of the AFA Journal. Sign up for a free six-month subscription at afajournal.org. afajournal.org. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Just as the Biden administration removed Trump-era restrictions on fetal tissue research, thanks to a FOIA request from Judicial Watch, we now know that our United States Food and Drug Administration trafficked the body parts of babies slaughtered in abortions. Our U.S. FDA purchased the organs of dismembered babies, demanded fresh baby parts like they were ordering meat from a butcher, bought the skulls of children murdered in the second gestational trimester, all from a company that sold the skin of a 21-week-old murdered child who had Down syndrome. This is Wicked. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, went through what was called a bar mitzvah, a term which means son of the law. Every Jewish boy went through a process in which his father made sure that he knew the wisdom of God on his journey to manhood. After this rite of passage, a 12-year-old boy was no longer considered a boy but a man. He was thought of as a man and was expected to behave as a man. That's why Jesus, at age 12, was in the temple engaging in conversation with the religious and political leaders of his day. I've written the Boy to Man book as the modern equivalent of a bar mitzvah for fathers of 12-year-old boys to read with their sons. It just might make a dandy Father's Day gift for a father you know who has a young son. Order a copy of the Boy to Man book today at afastore.net. That's afastore.net. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute, perhaps the only upside of the pandemic the Chinese Communist Party unleashed on this country and the rest of the world is the clarity it brought to dictator Xi Jinping's global ambitions. Even Biden Secretary of State Tony Blinken now acknowledges that the CCP seeks to dominate and control the planet. 
To that end, the Chinese communists are waging people's war, employing unrestricted warfare techniques to remove the only real impediment to that agenda, the United States of America. The most insidious of these techniques is their comprehensive influence operations aimed at subverting us from within. The latest of countless examples of how our destruction is being stealthily advanced is one enabled by American fellow travelers at the hard-left Erickson Institute via a teacher training program that enables the indoctrination of our kids with Chinese communist nursery rhymes. What could possibly go wrong? This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. James wrote to the believers, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, but perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. That was President Barack Obama, the former president, speaking at uh, John Lewis's funeral. And it was about that remark that David Sons, who was uh, J.D. Greer's pick to serve on the Southern Baptist Nominating Committee, said, the ease with which Barack Obama interweaves passages of Scripture into his eulogy speaks to his familiarity with the text. Disagree with him politically, if you like, but it is hard to doubt his knowledge of the Bible and of the Spirit who authored it. Well, he's quoting a verse. I don't know that that uh, demonstrates great uh, understanding of the Scripture, but uh, nevertheless, the point is that uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is in great danger. I don't know what else to say. They have been moving to the left for some time now. We've known about it, we've been talking about it, and we're trying to stop it. My guest is Rod Martin. He's a founder and CEO of Mar- the Martin Organization and a member of the Southern Baptist Executive Committee. That's a key position. And uh, the convention is coming up in June. There are two, well, there's three candidates for uh, president. One of them is Al Muller, and uh, Al is uh, loved, beloved by lots of people. He does a podcast. He says wonderful things. He's a great communicator. I know Al, but the point that Rod has made is that under his watch, all of this has happened. All of these people uh, destroying the seminaries have happened under Al Mueller's watch, and that's to be noted. If And if he disagrees with them, he has not stopped them. And uh, the other candidates are uh, uh, Mike Stone, uh, who is—we uh, interviewed him just a couple of weeks ago. He's a pastor of a, a church in Georgia in a town of about 3,500, just solid as a rock. And so uh, Rod is recommending that people uh, vote for him. Rod, before we run out of time— Repeat again. See, people are in Southern Baptist churches, but they don't—they're upset about this, I guarantee you. But they don't know what they can do. How can they get appointed as a delegate from their—or a, a messenger from their church? How, how can that happen? Well, first and foremost, you just have to go to your pastor and ask if you can go as a messenger to the Southern Baptist Convention, which, as you say, is in Nashville, Tennessee. It's in June, middle of the month. It's it's uh, coming right up. We're about four weeks away, and it's not hard to go. It's just a matter of wanting to. Most churches have not filled out their messenger allotment. In fact, most churches won't send anybody. So if you want to go, it's just a matter of raising your hand and saying, hey, let me go. And they fill out a little paperwork, and you're good to go. 
So, so go to Nashville. Go to Nashville because ultimately all of these boards that steward $30 billion in widow's might, all of these boards that, that control the institutions that educate a third of the seminary students in all of North America, all of these boards that send more missionaries than any other institution in the history of evangelical Christendom are going to get appointed, albeit slightly indirectly, but they're getting appointed by whoever gets elected president. And we've seen that Al Mohler's appointments have left a lot to be desired over all these years. I love him. I love what he has to say. But personnel is policy. And we know Ed Litton's going to go woker than woke. He's going to be worse than J.D. Greer ever dreamed of doing if we let Ed Litton in. And that leaves Mike Stone, who is a Southern Baptist statesman. He's been president of the Georgia Baptist Convention. He's been chairman of the SBC executive committee. well known across America. Mike Stone will actually turn this around. It won't happen all at once, but in those first two years of appointments will be game changers. We can arrest the leftist downgrade. We can arrest the slide. We can stop this. We can turn it around. And so, last question, Rod. Um, why, do, in your mind, because you have a broad view of things, I know that you're steeped in Southern Baptist Convention and its uh, mechanics, but you have a broad view of the world because of your business experiences. Why should Christians of other stripes care about this? The Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Protestant denomination, period. It's enormous. It's 15 million members. It's 50,000 churches. Like I said, just at the national level, there's $30 billion in assets. We educate a third of the seminary students on the continent. That's way more than just our own. And so if the Southern Baptist Convention goes bad, if it is co-opted to the leftist agenda, every denomination is going to suffer. I mean, you might get a few refugees come join your church, but all of those resources are going to be employed at subverting the Bride of Christ. They're going to be employed in doing the bidding of the Democratic Party. And that's what's beginning to happen now. This is something we all need to be praying about. And if you have a Southern Baptist friend, you need to encourage them to turn out to Nashville and vote for Mike Stone. It is absolutely urgent. Okay. Um, what we're going to do is put uh, a link to uh, the Capstone Report. Uh, they've done a lot of stories about this. And uh, is there another outlet that you re- recommend would be a good source, Rod, of information on this? Well, I have to say, Capstone is fantastic. Alan Atchison is the gentleman who runs that. Absolutely fantastic. Um, for broader Christian news, um, I, obviously everything American Family Association puts out is just primo. Um, Christian Post is really good. Richard Land is the executive editor there. Um, in a day where Christianity Today has gone fully woke, you just can't get anything you trust out of Christianity Today. Christian Post is a good alternative. Uh, but but I'll tell you what, I would follow every word Alan Atchison and the Capstone Report has to say. Okay, so the Capstone Report, just to repeat, and we'll put a link to the article, which is SBC attempts replacing a conservative with pastor who, and then the headline's cut off, but something about Barack Obama and Beth Moore. Uh, so uh, we will put that on our Facebook page, and then you guys can start looking at Capstone, and it will help you, equip you to know, those of you certainly that are Southern Baptist, but broader than that. They, he, does he just cover Southern Baptist? He covers the evangelical movement, right? 
Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. So so Capstone has a broader uh, broader reach, and uh, we want you to know about that. Listen, uh, it's so nice to talk to you, Rod. I uh, God bless you. Tomorrow's the National Day of Prayer, and we're going to add this to our list of things to pray for tomorrow. So I appreciate you. you bringing to our attention. We'll pray for you too because you're in the right in the middle of it. I mean, if you if you had to say on the executive committee, this is probably really too personal, and you might want to plead the fifth. But uh, how many conservatives do you think are on the executive committee? You know, right now, I'd say about 90%. But in June, we're going to get all of the appointments from 2020 and 2021 that J.D. Greer has made. It's going to significantly shift the EC and every other Southern Baptist body toward the left. We need to elect a president right now to stop that from being a majority everywhere. Yeah. Okay. That helps explain it. And so people have their marching orders. They're always asking what they can do. Well, if you're Southern Baptist, this is what you can do. Go to your pastor and ask if you could please uh, represent the church as a messenger, and that would give you the right to vote. I get, can they attend if they're not a messenger? Absolutely. And, and we have tons of non-messenger attendees every year. It'll be ten to 15,000 people in Nashville. It'll be, it'll be something else, and it'll be well worth doing. And bring your kids. If they're, if they're a member of the Southern Baptist Church, they can be a messenger, too. And uh, it, it's, it's a great experience regardless. It's like grown-up Bible camp. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Rod, uh, the Southern Baptists have made such a mark. I mean, it's a, certainly a huge part of my life and uh, the music that has come out of it. And the Southern Baptists have been the biggest opponent in the last few decades of the left. It's Southern Baptists who work, who get out there and fight. Uh, and that's why, they're beca- they're, that's why they become the target. Uh, because that, that, uh, that power that they have uh, exhibited because of the preaching and teaching, uh, the understanding of Scripture, that's why they're passionate and that's why they fight and that's why they are a target. And that's why we have to fight to keep that preserved. So, Rod, thanks for telling us today. Rod Martin, again, founder and CEO of the Martin Organization. Thank you, Rod. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.